When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royful Brown, who is back in London. And today we are joined by Mike Holden over there in Burnley in the north of England. Paul Dodridge, who I believe you're in Los Angeles, aren't you, Paul? Yes, I am. And by another friend of the party, Steve O'Neill. It's three Brits. Three Brits uh, we have with us today. But... They not only um, know loads about UK politics, they also quite know quite a bit about US politics. So in a week that has seen England put not one, not two, not three, not four, but ten goals past San Marino, we ask, can number ten now move on from allegations of sleaze? UK new polling suggests Prime Minister Boris Johnson and his Conservative Party are in trouble. When asked whether, quote, the Conservatives these days give the impression of being very sleazy and disreputable, 60% of the general population agreed. CBS News contributor Simon Bates explains. The King is dead. Long live the King. Because it's starting to look like our Prime Minister Boris Johnson is circling the wagons to stay in power. The voters are showing signs that they're up with him. His Conservative Party is dropping in the polls, but there's more. Because when Boris Johnson stands up in Parliament, the real threat to his position comes from those sitting behind him, his fellow legislators, who went along with him when he was popular but are starting to peel away. He was never a warm colleague, but they backed him when they thought he was a winner. So what's angered them now? Well, they're fed up that he forced them to support a legislator who'd broken the rules on lobbying, only to find that the Prime Minister had dropped him the following morning. They're fed up that this led to a flurry of stories about so-called financial sleaze in their own party. They're fed up with the lack of direction from the Prime Minister's office in Downing Street, run by a clique who just can't say no. And they're fed up with the gags, the one-liners, the photo ops, because they are no real substitute for politics. 
Number 10 hopes that it has seen the end of a fortnight of bad headlines and claims of sleaze that have come day after day after day. Mike Holden, how much have we seen a knock to Boris Johnson's authority? I think it's fair to say he hasn't had the best couple of weeks. The, the, the bigger worry for Johnson, I would think, is, is not so much that he's facing criticism from outside because he always faces that. Is that he's losing his own troops. Uh, he's abandoning his own troops, I'll put it that way. As, as, as your piece just said, with the, um, the, the Sleaze allegations, which was a, a, begun with a chap called Owen Patterson, who was taking money from companies and asking questions in Parliament, which he's not allowed to do. Because he's a friend of Boris, Boris insisted that many uh, of his loyal troops back this guy uh, in Parliament. And then when it turned out to be an absolute disaster publicly and in the press, left them to, to carry the can, essentially, and just re- refused to uh, back them after they backed him. So that's a bigger worry for him, I would think. Uh, and there's been some more stuff today, which is not sleaze, but separate, which we may go on to later. So, um, so- there are more of him abandoning people who have been loyal to him. So is this about him being disloyal or is this really just about MPs earning money outside of what their most important job should be, representing their constituencies? Because like paid advocacy is already against the rules. So how much of this is MPs, one rule for them, another, another rule for the rest of us, they're being bought. And then how much of this is, you know what, this is... Boris Johnson and his friends, and they're all just a little bit dodgy, and he's been seen to be dropping his friends. Well, as I say, I, I think it's, which is bad news for him, is it's both, because there are some of the old guard in, in Parliament who have been there many years who think they're entitled uh, to £80,000, so £50,000, $60,000, uh, plus as many hours as they can get for as much money as they can get outside, and also willing to break the rules. And Johnson has now put moves into place which will hurt them. But also, the new intake, the 2019 intake of MPs, by and large, don't have those things because they haven't been around long enough to, to take advantage, possibly, but have tried to present themselves as having some kind of principles and standards. And last week, he said, you've got to change the standard rules to allow my friend not to face the punishment that he should face, got them to do it, and then when the whole apartment blew up and said, we're not taking part in this because it's corrupt, just said, oh, well, yes, it was a mistake. So now he's asking them to uh, undo that. So they've been made to look in collusion with corruption, and the ones who are happily taking tens or hundreds of thousands of pounds outside of the normal earnings are now facing potentially, although not in reality, but potentially, losing some of that. So both sides are uh, thoroughly pissed off with him. Paul, shouldn't we kind of applaud MPs for having outside interests? You know, someone's a doctor, someone's a lawyer, someone maybe does a, a paid consultancy. That's great. They're still connected to the real world. Not so bad, is it, Paul? There's a, there's a, a, a different story going on here that is only about to come out in the next couple of days. It got announced yesterday. Basically, the editor of the Daily Mail for the last three years is that Geordie Gregg, who took over from Paul Dacre. And Geordie Gregg 
voted Remain and supported, is very anti-Brexit and is very anti-Boris. He had to stand down last night. He's now no longer the editor of the Daily Mail from next week. This story has accelerated in the last two weeks because Paul Dacre, apart from leaving the Daily Mail three years ago, left the Mail Group on November the 3rd. So Geordie Gregg went in and just gave them a complete kick-in. For the, it, it, These are exceptional times when kind of normal parliamentary behaviour was put under this microscope and uh, you know, they sort of acted as if these guys were doing some sort of uh, 19th century rotten borough kind of activities when actually what they're doing is completely normal, it's completely usual. Even Keir Starmer got caught in the whole thing for having advised the Gibraltar government whilst he's an MP. So there is, I think the ship will be righted next week basically, because Ted Verity is coming in, who's the, currently the Mail on Sunday editor, and he's taking over. I don't think you'll see... I think you'll see this spun in a slightly different way from next week. We've, we're living in an exceptional time where the, the editor of the Daily Mail for the last two, three years has been pro-Remain, basically. And I think that at the heart of this whole story, this whole... This is why it was so misjudged, I believe, by Boris Johnson, was... He thought he was being loyal to a friend and wanted Owen Patterson to be able to avail himself of a defence. He we, we wasn't allowed to mount a proper defence, they felt. And Jacob Rees-Mogg has kind of fallen on his sword for this and said, look, yeah, this was about the letter of the, the, letter of the law and he doesn't feel that Owen Patterson got a completely fair deal. But the point is, this story has been seized upon by, frankly, Remain facing most powerful newspaper in the country, and they've ridden it. It's cost the editor his job. So I think what you'll see is a Tory-supporting Daily Mail from next Monday, and I think you might see this thing dissipate. That's my two cents. Looking at this and having a wider perspective outside of just the UK, it's hard not to come to the conclusion that, number one, British politics is actually relatively clean. Stress on the word relative compared to to other countries. The power of the lobbyists in, in, in Westminster is nothing like what it is in Washington. And then when you look at the amount of MPs who are going to be affected by this rule, which basically is going to tighten the second jobs of MPs. So the, the legislation isn't going to say you cannot have a second job. It's going to really tighten it. So I, I know there's like one Tory MP who is a doctor and he does 15 hours worth of work. No, no one's saying that, that that's corrupt and, and uh, beyond the pale. But it was something like less than 40 MPs are going to be affected by this bill, of which the vast majority were Tories. But there were a few Labour. There's a couple of Lib Dems and a couple of SMPs. Basically... Not to say that British politics is uncorruptible, but it's pretty clean, Mike. If you to put a global standard next to it, should we recognise that or should we say we might be relatively clean, but we still should be squeaky clean? Uh, if it wasn't for our government constantly banging on about us being the mother of parliament, Boris Johnson took the world stage at COP26 last week and said, we are not a corrupt country. And people look at each other sideways when they hear that because very few countries actually have to stand up and have the leader stand up and say, uh, we're not a corrupt country. Uh, and the problem that we do have is that, yeah, it's quite right, yes, 
uh, people are allowed external interests and they are allowed external jobs. But because of the, and, and let's be under no illusions, Owen Patterson brought what few rules there are. The rules are very, very lax, let's call it, for, for MPs and outside interests. But even those he broke. And because of that, there may be a clampdown now that may mean the nurse who's doing an extra shift outside of, of Parliament can't do it because uh, there may come to a point where there's such a clampdown on external jobs that that kind of thing's not allowed anymore, which will be a tragedy, but it will be the fault of the corrupt politicians, not the fault of the good ones. Steve, is this being uh, manner from heaven for the opposition parties? We've, we, we, the latest opinion polls now put Labour just ahead of the Tories. Is this something which the, the opposition parties can, can build on, or is this just a little bit of a blip? Well, they're certainly trying to, and people might have noticed some sort of attack ads and things or, or sort of attack memes on social media coming out. And I think certainly Labour and the Lib Dems will go for the Tories on this. I, it's actually hard to tell quite how they're doing because, yeah, opinion polls neck and neck right now, but it's not really clear whether that's really driven by the, the sleaze stuff or whether it's actually down to kind of the vaccine bounce and all that just sort of slowly running out and kind of back to... A, a stalemate. So I think I think I think they're damaged by this. But I, I, if I had to sort of be a betting person, I, I would say that uh, I don't think they're going to be damaged to the extent that it's going to lose in the next election or anything like that. Kind of the news clip we've played said that Tory MPs, the Tory Party establishment, is tiring of Johnson, and that's one of the reasons why this scandal has, has kind of blown up. Paul, you talked about the fact that the Daily Mail, which is without question, the most important newspaper in, in the country in terms of setting the opinion, has been given the government a kick-in. Is it significant that the Daily Mail was doing this through through its editors now going to leave, admittedly, and that actually the Tory backbenchers have rebelled against Johnson? Is the Tory party establishment, whether it's the media, the Tory-based media and the party, kind of tired of the bluff? the bluster, the one-liners, and actually what we now need is some sober government. I don't think so, no. I, I you know, again, without fear of repeating my... He hasn't just left the editor, he's left, I think, because of this. He's only been in there for three years. The Daily Mail, the idea that, that Labour could be ahead in the polls is anathema to the Daily Mail. It's like, OK, all right, you've had your fun, now we've been throwing things at the headmaster... Let's get back to business as usual. You've got to understand that in the British Parliament, there is a lot of resentment towards Boris and the Brexiteers for that whole proroguing of Parliament period, for the whole being able to, frankly, catch out a lot of the most venerable MPs, to catch them out and to actually carry out the will of the people. There's still a lot of hostility on the, uh, the benches that don't represent the new intake. I honestly think this is almost, I know we're in November, but this is a very silly season kind of story and it will be superseded by, by events. He's got like an 18 majority. I mean, the, the Tory party can remember having a hung parliament. They can remember coalition. There, there really isn't an appetite to get rid of him. And now Geordie Gregg has gone. He's weathered the storm. I think that that's the, you know, it's kind of game over, really. And it will be business as usual. And which, whichever way people cut it, 
you cannot go into the next election, I don't think, with a new Tory leader. So Boris is a, a fixture. And you can take out many, many of these upstart Labour constituencies just by saying they want to um, they want to undo Brexit. You only have to say that and any lead that they seem to have will just disappear. So I, for me, it's a storm in a teacup. I didn't think that until Geordie Gregg uh, an, uh, was announced as leaving because the Daily Mail could have brought pr uh, Boris down. Now they have blinked and seen sense, frankly. And I think that that's, for me, it's the end of the matter. I don't think that this is going to go any further now over the next couple of weeks. That's my take from over this side of the Atlantic. Steve, Paul kind of talked about resentment in the kind of the, the walls of Westminster regarding the tactics that Johnson used to, to get Brexit through. I really, I must admit, I, I kind of want to push push back on that, but, but I'm supposed to be here moderating. So, Steve, do you get the sense that there still is resentment in terms of the tactics used to get Brexit passed? I really get the sense that even the staunchest of Remainers who are in Parliament are kind of shrugged their shoulders and says, look, in effect, we had not one but two referendums about Brexit. The will of the people has been, has been repeated and we just need to get on with it. I, you know, for me, it's kind of quite marked how quiet the Labour Party, the Lib Dems, etc., have been regarding Brexit, considering the amount of shortages which we're having in the country, which aren't all to do with Brexit, but some of them most definitely are. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with you. I think they, they've decided to move on. And I think it's probably in their interest to move on because, because people were fed up of debating it for so many years. Uh, and we've also had, we've had bigger issues. We've had the pandemic to think about. And so I think banging on about Brexit wouldn't have helped opposition parties. I, I'm a little bit unsure of what Paul was saying about the position of Boris Johnson because you know, he has made an awful lot of seeming mistakes. And you know, go back to the pandemic handling, we'll have the inquiry into that, we'll have all that fallout. Uh, and on, on lots of other policy areas, he's struggled. So I do wonder whether he's burning through his, his goodwill. And I wonder whether if that poll situation continues to get a bit better for Labour and worse for the Tories, which is the trajectory, I wonder if that goodwill that Paul thinks is still there might start running out. Paul? This has been driven by the mail. It just has. And then Labour, for this glorious month, has had a da the Daily Mail is as, as its trumpet, if you like, as its, um, as its uh, megaphone. It, it's now over. I don't think that there is a lot of bad will. All right, put it this way. If, this, if these stories were really hitting the public so strongly, how come that Labour is still only like one on the best day? They're like 1% ahead in the polls, 2%. This should be 20% ahead. There should be a 20-point lead. There isn't. This is all fueled, And like I said, it's fueled as a strategy by Geordie Gregg and for which he's lost his job. I mean, it, it, is, it is a completely kind of manufactured, exacerbated... It, it, this is not the same. Remember the expenses scandal, how long it took for that story to actually catch on. That was The Guardian, I think, pushed it for months and months and months until it finally kind of broke. Well, you've had that now times 10 because of the Daily Mail. That That's going to take its foot off the gas now. And I think this will just melt away. I really do. And I think that Boris is liked by the public because... They, there is still a great affection for him for having seen off exactly this parliamentary humbug for the sake of the people. I'm not talking about Brexit in 
the kind of whether you're pro or remain. I'm saying there's a lot of bruised egos in Parliament that he over whom he rode roughshod, and and they take a they got long memories. That's my point with the Parliament aspect of it. He, his approval ratings are falling in the polls, though. And lots of Tory voters from last time round two years ago in the undecided column. I think that relies on Labour being a bit, bit lacklustre. But Starmer is starting to perform better. And I think that if Labour do start to land some more blows, I don't think the Tories are in a particularly invincible position. They might have looked like it six months ago. But I, I think they shouldn't be complacent. There's been a, an incident this week that has kind of further underlined that a little bit, and that's to do with the rail infrastructure legislation that's been going through. That Actually, he, uh, and it's another instance where he has gained a lot of support in Tory areas by making a promise that is now turning out not to be true. In fact, yesterday in Parliament, uh, one of his colleagues, one of the, the Tory MPs from the Yorkshire area, said... Will voters realize? Uh, will voters think that you're not to be trusted? And he said, "Wait till tomorrow, and you'll find out." And they've waited till today, and today that area has found itself losing funding and losing infrastructure that had been promised by Boris Johnson. So the sleighs m- may well start to die down over time because it can't carry on forever, can it? Um, although I'm seeing a news report about. Uh, a very uh, high-profile Tory MP who's uh, about to be in court tomorrow for non-payment of a £35,000 fine. So um, maybe it will carry on a few days longer yet. Isn't one of the reasons why this has latched on so quickly? Because as I said, if you were to take an international comparison, British policy is actually quite clean, right? That is not to say that we don't have Tory fat cats having directorships and then, in effect, pushing the agenda of those uh, of those companies, let's say consultantships, not, not, not directorships. So there has been some level of wrongdoing, but you take a global perspective. This is actually storming the teacup stuff in terms of the, the raw amount of MPs who have been uh, caught doing some level of impropriety. But isn't one of the reasons why this has uh, become such a touch point at the moment is because we are slowly but surely putting COVID behind us. So politics is kind of getting back to normal. But then also, to the point of the Labour Party should be 20 points ahead. There might be a little bit of an exaggeration, Paul, but I take your point, maybe 10 points ahead. You know, It's because we have really somewhat of a lacklustre government, but also a lacklustre opposition. We, we're not having the parliamentary fireworks. We're not having substantive debates about policy. Uh, so this has come along and it's uh, reignited our interests in the fact that we have quite a dreary parliament at the moment. Paul Dudridge, what do you reckon? This is twas ever thus. Unless a government really has huge legislation that it's trying to drive through, this is what government always looks like forever, whether it was Maastricht with John Major or you know Brexit with Boris Johnson. I think that, that everything is kind of, we're not corrupt. It's better, you know, politics at most is very tedious. It's how the sausages are made. People expecting fireworks. We've been really spoiled if we're political nerds. We had like five, six years of just fabulous kind of, you know, real politics, if you like, real, actual, binary, side taking. 
and it's all past. It's like this is boring business as usual. This is British politics as it always was before we got into these massive kind of tumultuous binary decisions. And that's past. And so whoever's left holding that is going to be seen as We've, we've now got time to scrutinise parliamentary procedure. That gives you an idea of how little is actually happening, you know? And that's fine. It's, it's like, that's politics. Give it an election tomorrow, and I think Boris would still romp home with at least a 25-30 majority tomorrow, you know? I'm inclined to agree with you. And, and on that note, we really should move to uh, the other side of the Atlantic. Well, let's go to Washington, and let's talk about the outbreak of bipartisanship under. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Biden. We want to take you straight to Washington, D.C., where President Biden is about to sign the bipartisan infrastructure bill into law. More than $1 trillion. Let's listen in. Yeah. Bravo. Just signing the infrastructure bill there and uh, Speaker Pelosi, Senator Schumer right there in the foreground, as was a late addition there in the lineup, Vice President Kamala Harris uh, of note there just slipping in to be at the front of the photographs as well. Let's bring Kayla Tausche. Kayla, we, we've, we've got to that moment, the crucial moment, the bill is signed. And it seemed elusive over the course of this year. There were many fits and starts uh, throughout these negotiations. But President Biden today, flanked by his cabinet, members of uh, each party on either side of the aisle joining him today, and many business groups and organized labor groups as well joining him to tout this achievement that delivers on two major campaign promises. The first, to deliver on a major piece of infrastructure spending with bipartisan support. And the second, to approach negotiations with allies and adversaries from a position of domestic strength. Uh, this is what the administration has been talking about when it says that it wants to prove that it can get its domestic house in order to show countries like China uh, that it can invest in itself and compete on a world stage. 
President Joe Biden has signed a $1 trillion infrastructure bill into law. The bill looks at roads and bridges, public transport, passenger and freight rail, electric vehicles, internet access, modernising the electric grid, airports, water and wasteways. And it's going to cost just north of $1 trillion. This whole process has taken months and we've had we've had a prominent moderate Democrats wield an, uns, an outsized influence in this bill actually being drafted. But importantly, in, in this bill's passing, we've had Republicans in the Senate and in Congress actually vote for it. Do we have a, a seismic change in the American political temperature because this bill has been managed to pass with Republicans joining Democrats to vote for it. Rick Sanchez, you've, you've joined us on stage, sir. Can we say that American politics is no longer the toxic divide that it used to be? Washington can work. Is that the thing to take away from this new bill? I wouldn't go that far, but I would say it is a, it's, a, it's a good sign. There were only 36 Republicans in the House and Senate that voted for it. So that is a good sign. So I'm, I'm glad about that. I think the biggest problem that needs to be addressed right now is messaging. One of the things that government in general is very bad at doing is saying, now that the bill has passed, how long will it actually take for things to start getting done? And... Um, it, you know, I, I'm sure that within weeks we're going to hear people say, I still have a pothole in front of my house. Or, you know, we still have a bad bridge. You know, it's a very kind of unrealistic expectation, but people are going to expect things to happen very quickly, and they won't. But it is a good sign. So I think now, uh, and everywhere from local to state to federal officials, need to start giving people a reality check on, okay, we have a lot of money, but it's going to take time to get this stuff done and for people to get hired. So I'm glad it got done. And I was I was kind of shocked that the 36 Republicans did vote for it, but I'm very glad it happened. And, and it's a it's a glimmer of hope. It's a glimmer of hope. Paul Dudridge, you know, you're nakedly a, a Trump supporter. It was always infrastructure week under the Trump administration, and it never actually came to pass. So you must be incredibly, you must be beside yourself. One of Trump's key election, you know, building a better America, infrastructure, it's happened under Biden. You must be incredibly happy for the Democratic president. Yeah, I don't mind. To be honest, again, I think this is, this is all going to be not forgotten, but it's a very, I think it's a win-win, actually, for everybody. I don't mind there being infrastructure bills. I think it's a good thing. I actually would have liked the Trump administration to have been allowed to um, not have to deal with the Russia hoax long enough to be able to get some of their stuff through. But infrastructure bills are fine. It's going to add to inflation, obviously. It's going to exacerbate that. I think this helps, frankly, the midterm elections, I think we can't lose. It's, it's either everybody gets back to work and starts realizing that inflation's gone up and so that their salary isn't worth as much 
um, you know, and that leads us nicely into Trump being able to come in as a more fiscally prudent president. So I think for the midterms, this is a huge kind of coup for both sides. I mean, the Democrats can be seen to have got something done and the Trump Republicans, and that's what's going in for the midterms next time. It's not the Republican Party, it's Trump Republican Party. And so they will be able to make hay from this whilst benefiting from the actual uh, increase in the money supply. So I actually, I think it's kind of good for everybody, slightly better for the Republicans than it is for the Democrats. Brent, you, you just joined, joined us on, on stage. Is this going to be something which, as, as Paul says, the uh, Trump Republicans can, can actually uh, benefit from uh, next November in the midterms? I don't think they'll be able to benefit from the infrastructure bill specifically. If Biden can hang his hat on anything, it will be that. Yeah, in terms of the midterm, I, I, I think it remains to be seen what's going to happen. There's still you know, quite a, <laughs> an eternity between now and then. So many different things can happen, including a possible Trump indictment. His, m- many of his inner circle were, were recently indicted, and there probably will be more indictments. So it, it, just because Biden's popularity has, has taken quite a while since he was elected, um, I, I don't see the, the Republicans gaining popularity. I think there, there's just a unanimous air of dissatisfaction right now. And, you know, that's that's kind of where we're at. And I, I wouldn't bank on any particular outcome with this midterm election, with these predictions, because, uh, like I said, a lot can occur between now and then. The latest Politico Morning Consult survey found that 50% of Americans supported overall, spoke to the legislation overall, which is down from 58% when Morning Consult first asked the question in mid-August. It goes to Rick's point that this is all going to be about messaging. And, and some of that messaging has definitely been lost with the partisan, the intra-democratic kind of fight about getting this over the line where you had the senator from, from West Virginia and then Kirsten Cinema from Arizona, you know, c- consistently kind of delaying that bill actually from being passed. And then, of course, the, the Democrats took a little bit of a kick in in Virginia, et cetera, and it, and it kind of focused minds. Um, which, look, looking at the passage of this bill and the fact that various Republicans who've actually signed it have acted duck for cover. And then we've had moderate Democrats arguing for months with more progressive Democrats. Which party comes out of this looking more divided? Paul Dudridge. Divided? Like I said, I think it's a pretty even-handed thing. I think that the division actually isn't between, isn't within the parties. I think it is between the establishment, the establishment, and like I said, the Trump Republicans. You've got You've got candidates standing down all over the country, knowing that they're going to get shellacked in 2022. I think it's that's the wave that's coming. And I think that, you know, the, the, you know, the Democrats and those 30 Republicans or so have got more in common than I think now what the it's become a populist party, the Republicans. And I think that what we're seeing is the flushing out of um What's the word? Professional politicians, shall we say? And that's going to be the that's going to be the battleground. Weirdly, I don't think this thing is I don't think these these bills are actually 
sexy enough, if you like, for people to get too heated about. Like I said, I think that this isn't this isn't a huge divisive issue, but it will play to increase taxes. I think that U.S. is going to have the highest income tax in the developed world now, I believe, next year. And so those kind of of issues are going to be dividing the populists from the um, from the professional swamp politicians and that that's going to be the battleground for the midterms next year and look if obama can lose in the midterms if clinton can lose in the midterms biden it's it's going to be a bloodbath it really is going to be a bloodbath and for all the indictments etc that come down the pipe it's like when you start having trump republicans controlling congress and a majority in senate you're going to have this administration being tied up in every form of legal challenge possible can we can we get a quick fact check on the uh, United States having the highest tax rate next year? Where did you hear that? I live in, in the states, and I, I've heard. Yeah, that. I just saw that in I saw that in passing. I think it goes up to the high, the highest income tax in the developed world. I must admit, I, I'm somewhat stunned about that because you, you can't tell me that in those Scandinavian countries where they have, you know, in in the Anglosphere eye-watering levels uh, of income tax that the US is going to go past, let's say, Norway or Sweden. But income tax will go up. Uh, There's no no question about that. Fundamentally, uh, this bill needs to get paid somehow. There's a bill to be paid. We had Senator Rob Portman of Ohio, Senator Mitt Romney, and the Maryland governor join that bipartisan signing of that bill. Rick, you know, this this has got to be a sign that Washington is working. Paul could well be onto something. And he says that this bill just isn't sexy enough, but it was divisive enough for Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema to draw out negotiations and to frustrate the more progressive wing of the Democratic Party. But it's got over the line and key Republicans have voted for it. Washington is working. And whether you were a Trump supporter or not, under under Trump, fundamentally, Washington was was somewhat dysfunctional. This is Washington working. This is people seeing their congressmen and their senators doing their job. This is America going back to work. This is good news, isn't it, Rick? It is good news. You know, it it's we've been trying to pass an infrastructure bill for a very long time, and it has just not happened. And it's just because people are being stubborn and and. Um, so this is a good thing. Whether or not any of the Build Back Better stuff will pass, that's a whole other story, which will frustrate progressives mightily if it if it does not, or, or if it doesn't pass in a significant fashion even. I'm sure there's going to be things cut out of it. But for instance, the voting rights part of the bill, if that doesn't pass, then I think Democrats are going to have a very hard time getting out the vote in 2022. They have to pass a Voting Rights Act, and it's the right thing to do. You know, it's it's just the right thing to do. You know, this is America. Everybody should be able to vote that can legally vote. And, you know, so that is really important that, that pass. The other, the other parts of the Build Back Better part of the bill that, that is still being debated, I have mixed feelings about it. But personally, I would love to see a lot of that stuff come to come to pass. But it's going to be tough. You know, it's going to be very tough and and it can be held up by just one dissenting vote. So 
but I am I am glad we need the infrastructure. We need to start repairing our roads, our bridges, our water supply, our electrical grid, our broadband internet needs compared to, you know, when I travel through Europe, it is so much better. Same thing. And my friends that, that have been to uh, South Korea said, said it, you know, America does not hold a candle to them when it comes to broadband. We have to get that stuff fixed and working because we're going to be left in the dust, frankly, if we don't. It has to be said that, well, I, I have to comment, I should say, that the one thing that really struck me when I came to California for the first time was really how shoddy the roads and, and the bridges actually were. From a European perspective, some bits of America are utterly kind of like threadbare and, and kind of run down. And that's before you look at kind of like, you know, pub, public transport, etc. So America, you know, this has been long overdue. And it goes to one of the differences between conservative administration in America and one in the UK, because uh, to your point, Mike, you kind of briefly touched on rail infrastructure and HS2. I believe that's what you were talking about before. We have a conservative prime minister who really does want big, flashy infrastructure projects, doesn't he? He's all about the big, flashy show. And, and, and it's seen as one way of maybe leveling up the unequal economy of, of, the U, the, of the UK, which is very dependent on London and the South for its economic growth. Yes, he, he's certainly uh, keen on big infrastructure projects. Some of the ones that he has raised in the past, people have rolled their eyes out a little bit. He wanted to build a tunnel between Scotland and Ireland, I believe, that um, people pointed out that... Uh, since the war, there's an awful lot of munitions at the bottom of the sea between those two countries. So maybe building a tunnel through them was not such a good idea. And um, as I was saying about the rail infrastructure project, what's happening in, in this week is that a fairly major trunk of the high-speed rail, which was heading to the north uh, east, has been chopped off and is not going to happen. And also something that he actually spoke about only five weeks ago at a conference uh, was a thing called Northern Powerhouse Rail, which is a high-speed rail link between the east and the west of the north of England, so between Leeds, uh, between Liverpool, Manchester, out to Leeds uh, via Bradford. That's now being cancelled and they're going to try and kind of patch up what we've got and improve what we've got. So uh, I'm, I'm actually kind of interested to to to, to know uh, about in America um, that whether the the pandemic, the post-pandemic bounce, let's call it, you know, the, the, there will naturally be a growth in, in infrastructure because of the bill, but also in employment and in wages and everything because we've been in a bit of a trough in the UK and the US. I'm interested to know whether that, whether our American friends might think that would have uh, an effect uh, in the midterms coming up. I only want to bring attention to the link I've added. I don't know if you've seen that. Yes. Yeah. Just, just, just on, on your point, Mike, I'm utterly, utterly no expert when it comes to um, American pub public transport, other than compared to, to Europe, it, it's kind of woeful. And, but there are kind of, some very good reasons what, what, why it is. And I know one of the things that this infrastructure bill is going to throw at is a lot of money at American Rail. And one of the things you can't do comfortably is to travel from one coast to another 
via rail. It takes an inordinate amount of time when you get out of the Northeast Corridor. Famously, between Washington and New York, the line is very good. There is lots of rolling stock, etc. But outside of that, America is, is served very badly via rail. Yeah, I'm, I'm presuming that because of the distances, it's so much cheaper and quicker to fly. And then also, you know, there's a real culture of, of truck drivers and then just driving full stop. So there's a lot of freight which actually happens via road. But it'd be interesting that the Amtrak, the American company which kind of deals with rail, is always seen as like a bottomless pit of, you know, of government kind of subsidies and money. You know, they're going to get a lot of money to redo that northeastern line through this bill. It'd be interesting if some of the other projects, like a high-speed rail link between San Francisco and Los Angeles, whether that will actually come to fruition. Because to Rick's point, there's going to be a lot of money going to be swilling around. It's going to affect a lot of people locally where politics actually really happens. I think Paul may have had a point in, in what he was saying, that some of this doesn't always necessarily bite through because of the sheer time it takes to do these things. I mean, in the UK, we're talking about high-speed HS2 taking another 20 years or so from where we are now. And I'm imagining scaled up into American geographical uh, sizes, similar kinds of infrastructure improvements will take years, if not decades. And that's always, I think, difficult for any political system where elections are held every four or five years because... What is to be gained by putting something in place that may take 20 or 30 years to, to, to make improvements? It will make the country better, great, but it won't do you a lot of good as as the um, incumbent political party. Absolutely. And America has elections every two years. So he has the, the retention. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, uh, yeah, presidential yeah. elections is yeah. what I was talking about in that instance. Sure, yeah. sure. Um, very quickly to the people in the audience. This is Mid-Atlantic. I do these uh, shows, these rooms... For, for the podcast, I mean, if it's some seven years. If you would like to join the debate to maybe talk about the infrastructure bill or even go back to the first topic, which was UK political sleaze, feel free to hold your hand up and you can jump up on stage. We have another 10 minutes before I'm going to close this room down. Brent, do you have something to say, sir? Yeah, I was just going to respond to the link. So the the highest tax rate in the developed world is tied to the proposal that is not yet passed, even it's not even remotely close to passing with the Build Back Better agenda. Until it actually becomes law, I think it's a it's a little little irresponsible to say the U.S. will have the uh, highest tax rate in the world next year. That's uh, this is probably just a bargaining point. Surely, if it passes at all, which you know, I would say is not great chances <laughs> that it would probably have a lower rate once, you know, it passes, once it goes through negotiations in the House and the Senate. But, but just just on that, though, Pelosi seems to be pretty bullish this morning that Build Back Better would be passed in the next week. She seems to think that she has enough votes in her pocket in Congress. And then we have a Senate, which is much more amenable to doing deals with the Biden regime. So this thing could be closer to the to the finishing line than than we all suspect. I mean, I'm sure that they have the votes in the House, but the, the Senate is still subject to the filibuster 
as far as I'm aware. So I, I, I would assume they would have to remove the filibuster, which was not done even to pass the, you know, renew the Civil Rights Act. But I know that's maybe part of this. So we'll see. I, 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 I just also just want to call attention to the fact that this would just be for the top income bracket, not for all income brackets if it was passed as proposed. So the average American would not uh, be paying the highest taxes in the world. Yeah, I was just reading a little bit about the article, and and he's right. We have a very progressive tax system here where people at the lower end of the spectrum pay less income taxes and people at the very highest end of the spectrum. And I think that this bill like would start $400,000. I think the highest tax bracket would be a million dollars a year. Very, very few people in America make a million dollars a year. And, you know, they also don't mention that there will be significant loopholes for the people at the top income bracket in order to get uh, in order to get, you know, deductions and things that would lower their their actual rate instead of just the stated rate. And that's one of one of the problems with the U.S. tax system is there there's so many loopholes. Thank you for that, Rick. Um, Eric, you've joined us on stage, sir. Thank you, Royfield. I just wanted to point out when it comes to this new era of good feelings that uh, uh, is supposedly going on, I live outside of uh, Washington, D.C., like about a $12 cab ride away, actually. And um, these uh, members uh, of the Republican Party who voted for this bill are, are getting death threats. There are bills being debated now to deprive them of their committee uh, chairmanships, uh, which is the only way that they can bring the bacon, so to speak, back to their districts, and they're getting censured in their home districts by, by their own Republican Party. So to, to be honest, I don't see this as being the opening of uh, bipartisanship so much as a few people went out and took a risk, and now they're uh, getting slapped back into shape. Uh, I'll end now. Yeah, no, that, that, that's an excellent point, Eric. And I, I'm always sunshine and sunny uplands me, but Paul, he, he raises an excellent point that Trump is going around, if not actually trying to primary those Republicans that voted for this bill, at least he's threatening it, isn't he? Yeah, no, exactly. This is what I'm saying. It's just like, look, and on the tax thing, the very fact that, that you've got politicians who, whether this bill goes through or not, there is no doubt at all. Five minutes ago when I brought this up, it's like, no, 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 it's not even possible. It actually would be the intention. It would be the result of exactly what's being proposed um, by Democrats. They are just con they, they are creating a huge elephant trap for themselves. It's ridiculous. We have the midterms coming up. Even if we believe that the election in 2020 was real, we have to accept that the down ticket candidates won. Well, the midterms is all down ticket candidates and you, it's a win-win for the uh, the Trump Republicans because ex exactly as was just expressed, any any Republicans that supported this bill are getting um, getting death threats, as he said, and the equivalent. And then what you've got is that everybody can benefit from the bill because a lot of blue collar people will be put into work, and they'll be blue collar Paul, people just on that point, with jobs. It, it, you you make the point and you make it really well, but why doesn't Kevin McCarthy? Why doesn't Mitch McConnell et al. call out those more unhinged congressmen 
and or uh, Republican or let's say right wing media commentators who are calling literally for people's heads. Why is there just a lack of backbone in the Republican Party that such naked threats can be made to people who are fundamentally doing their job and doing what they think is best for their constituents? Because they're afraid of Trump. Yeah, we're in a culture war. We're, we're, I mean, this is, the, this is a cold war, if you like, in the United States. This is nothing to do with policy. This is to do with an actual, there, there, are just, there are just two sides to this. It's the globalists against the nationalists, the populists against the swamp, if you like. This is how wars look, basically. There's not going to be any quarter given by the Trump supporters. What you had in 2016 was a soft rollout, a dress rehearsal, if you like, of that was the beginning of trying to take over the conservative voters in the United States. It's been very, very successful. But yeah, this is not about the niceties of policy. This is a culture war for the heart of the nation is how it's viewed. And on that note, people, on that rather sad note, um, I need to call time on this week's uh, Mid-Atlantic. Uh, if you're in the audience, we do these generally um, every other Thursday at uh, round about this time, which is 5 London time, which is 10 Eastern, which means that then it must be approximately 2 Pacific. And we talk about US and UK politics in a polite and considered fashion. Today we're, jo- we're joined by Paul Dodridge, Brother Brent, Eric uh, Trometa, Rick Sanchez, Steve O'Neill and Mike Holden. And as is apropos to what we do, they were on both sides of the Atlantic. Don't forget, folks, um, there is a podcast. If you're in the audience and you want to get, uh, want to download this to your phone, uh, go to any podcatcher of your choice, type in Mid-Atlantic and you'll see this episode and you'll see seven years worth of of, of great political content for you to get your teeth into. Uh, and don't forget, folks, left of centre politics is right-thinking politics, but we don't demonise our right-leaning brethren. We, we embrace them in conversation and try and win them over with the strength of our ideas. That's us. That's been your Mid-Atlantic. We'll see you all again in seven days' time. Another rip-roaring, barnstorming, insightful a look at US UK politics. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.